You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Friday, the 24th of November, 2023. The time is 4.03 p.m. and you're listening to Dhani Azia and Imam Usman Ali, live from the South London studios of Voice of Islam. We have a live drive time show for you today, two hours. So we will be live with you until 6 p.m. And we have, as is the norm, two topics for you today as well. So the first topic is about hate crimes and um, uh, what uh, what can be done to deal with hate crimes, um, how bad a practice that is, what does Islam say about hate crimes, and what does Islam say about the solution to hate crimes. So those are the um the themes that we shall be discussing today in the show from um, until about 5 p.m. And uh, between 5 and 6, we shall talk about Prophet Adam. And we will be asking a very interesting question, which is, that was he the first man on planet Earth? Or was he the first prophet on planet Earth? Because um, uh, planet Earth was created, according to science, billions of years ago about 13 and a half billion years ago, according to science. And Prophet Adam appeared only about 6,000 years ago. So um, so that's the question. So very interesting discussions we'll have. This is a live show. So please do participate by calling us at 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam. And on that note, um, a warm welcome, Imam Usman Ali. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's a pleasure to join you today. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you in the studios. Absolutely. Right. So um, talking about hate crimes then. So in the context of what's happening, uh, the unfortunate events, the very unfortunate, very painful events uh, of the Middle East at the moment, hate crimes are actually on the rise. And both Muslims and Jews um, are facing um um, hate crimes at the moment. Um, a landlord, for example, in Illinois stabbed his tenants, which uh, which was a mother um, and um, a six-year-old son. Reports also show increasing violence against Muslims with 58 Islamophobic incidents and 54 Islamophobic offences being reported, according to the Metropolitan Police uh, during uh, just between um, 29 September and 12th October. We've also seen recently um, this video, uh, this hideous video, I should say, uh, doing the round on social media about this um, former senior uh, U.S. State Department official who, ha- who was actually harassing um, a street vendor, a Muslim street vendor, really. And uh, he has now been arrested. So... Um, you know, this is the context. There are, as I said, very painful events taking place in the Middle East at the moment. So we will be discussing today the increase of these crimes um, against different religious groups in the context of the current global affairs. Um, no one is superior to any anyone for any worldly, physical or materialistic reason, according to Islam. Our, our good deeds is what sets us apart. And hate crimes are committed by people 
who are usually arrogant, who think who have a superiority complex, and differentiate with others, um, draw schisms in the society based on race, religion, and physical abilities. So, um, and, and it's not for any human to judge another human. And that's why it states in the Holy Quran that Allah will judge between you on the day of resurrection concerning about concerning that about which you used to defer, chapter 22, verse 70. So that's the um, the context that we're talking about mm. at the moment. So, Amosman, what is a hate crime? So hate crime refers to criminal activities committed against individuals or groups because of their perceived characteristics or affiliations with the particular social, racial, religious, ethnic, or gender identity group. These offences are driven by prejudice, bias, or hatred against the targeted group, and they aim not only to harm the immediate victims, but also to send a broader message of fear and intimidation to the entire community associated with the victimised characteristics. And again, there's, as I did briefly touch upon, there are different types of um, hate crimes, including violent assaults, harassment, and threats. So that's one thing maybe people don't realize that harassment and threats, like threats are part of hate crime as well. So is cyberbullying and hate speech. So it's not just something which is physical. And hate crime can be just through words as well. Um, and then key elements of it would include things such as, you know, protected characteristics of someone. For example, if you speak about their... Um, religion or their race or their sexual orientation or gender identity, you know, their disability, something which is key and uh, def- to defining the, the individual mm. uh, and their identity to attack that is what a hate crime would be. Sure. Thank you very much for that. Uh, let's now go to our first guest, who is Becca Rosenthal, who is a hate crime lead for victim support. Aslam alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rebecca, for uh, for joining us. So um, let's start with victim support. Um, tell us a bit more about it. Um, sure, thank you. So Victim Support is a national charity across England and Wales, and we support, it's kind of, um, as it says on the tin, really, so we support people who've been victims of crime, um, but also in the context of hate crime, people who've been victims of hate incidences as well. So we completely understand that um, not everything reaches a criminal threshold, but it doesn't mean that it's any less harmful for, you know, for the people, for the families and the, the communities involved. So we support people, really, to put their lives back together and help them to cope with, you know, what's happened to them and to, you know, build back their connections and their strengths and their confidence and, you know, their self-esteem as well, which is often what happens when somebody experiences a hate crime. So so how do you handle some of those challenges? So if somebody's self-esteem has been affected, which, which one would imagine would be, uh, how do you support Yes, yeah, so the, the support that we offer is very much based on that person and, you know, on their journey and their experiences. So when somebody first comes to us, and there are lots of different routes in. So, for example, if somebody reports to the police, the police will offer that, that referral to us. But also people can just come straight to us be referred by you know by another agency by a mosque leader for example um and when we you know we first talk to that person it's all based on you know on that person's experiences and what they're going through sometimes we'll see a you know a crime referred to us that is 
based on one thing, but actually when you're you know you're talking to the to the person who's been affected, actually the issues that are affecting them in their lives that have contributed, you know, to, to those overall feelings can be very different. Um so it's all very victim focused. It's very focused on, you know, on that person and what they need from that moment as well. And we certainly work towards help helping people to feel safer. I could hear from the person speaking you know, just now about the fear that can be created as part of, um, you know, the hate crime experience and, and absolutely whether it's happened to, you know, wherever it's happened to somebody, whether it's a young person, you know, or an adult, um, you know, the impact on them can be very, very individual. It can be very personal. You know, hate crime is, is an identity-based crime. It's the only crime type where somebody's pointing a finger at you and saying that they dislike you enough for it to propel them into some, you know, some kind of accident. So it's a very personal you know, offence, and it can really shatter, you know, people's confidence and self-esteem. So all of the support that we offer, you know, is very much based on what that person needs in that moment, whether it's that help to, you know, to build their confidence and their self-esteem or they, you know, they need, a, you know, something to help them feel safer. In some areas, we can offer personal alarms and things like that. Or maybe it's working with, you know, um, with their workplace or the school or a college or, you know, other people in their community. It just all, it all very, very much depends on what that person needs. But the focus is absolutely on helping them to, to move forward. We also offer a lot of advocacy with the police as well. And, you know, we understand completely, you know, also that not everybody is going to take something to the police. You know, there's mm. lots of reasons why people might not. Um, and our service is there for people, whether or not they've involved the police, that does not matter. That's not the focus. Um, the focus is on helping that person to, you know, to put their lives back together and to, and to move on and to live a full life again. Right. Have you noticed... Um a trend recently as a result of what's happening around us uh, in terms of an increase uh, in hate crimes? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not unusual for us to see spikes in hate crime linked to world events, unfortunately. Mm. It's quite a disturbing trend. And, you know, again, it can leave people feeling really terrified. And when incidents and events happen then, you know, in this country and other parts of the world, it can, you know, that has nothing to do with them. It can obviously leave people feeling very, you know, very afraid. But we are, you know, we are seeing you know, a rise in, in acts of hate of, you know, lots of different kinds in relation to what's happening, you know, elsewhere in the world. And it's, it's difficult to talk numbers because people don't always know what's happening to them or when they, you know, report to us, they don't always understand, the you know, the connection themselves. So it takes a while to draw the correlation, I guess. But, you know, we are seeing a rise. And I think one of the most important things, you know, when we do talk about numbers and rises and incidences, that behind every single number is a person and their family and their local community, you know, that's been affected by hate. And behind that, again, are the incidences that haven't had enough evidence to become a recorded crime. And behind that, again, are the people that didn't, you know, report, the people who are fearful of repercussions, the victims, and those that are just too scared to you know, to speak up. So, you know, obviously we at Victim Support can, you know, support all the people. And if any of your listeners are, you know, feeling affected, then you can just search for us on, you know, on uh, on the internet, search for Victim Support, and uh, you can contact us by any of our details that, you know, that come up. But, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, the rises that, you know, the impact on people is just so far-reaching, you know, and wide, and it could be so individual. You know, I remember a case where a father was attacked in broad daylight on his way to mosque, and, you know, he experienced a small physical injury and felt that he was quite resilient, self-reliant, didn't need any support, you know, he'd reported it to the police, and it was plodding along nicely through the criminal justice system at a slow pace, but it was, you know, plodding along. 
but the impact, you know, that we saw then was actually on the family and the local community, and that was really heavy. His eldest son was in high school and started to try to conceal his identity when he left the house because he was quite scared. His 12-year-old daughter stopped going out and seeing her friends and started to skip school because she was afraid to leave the house. And there was a lot of fear amongst that community because he'd be on his way to mosque. There was a lot of fear started to grow around attending that place of worship. And that attendance started to drop as well. So that impact just rippled straight through you know, that community, a space that should have been seen as a place of safety, you know, had now become a place of fear. The hate can really change the way that, you know, we live our lives and the way that we experience our neighbourhoods and feel safe. And, you know, in that, um, you know, instance, you know, we were able to support the, you know, the children to um, rebuild their confidence again. You know, we worked with the school to make sure that, you know, the right support was there. And also, you know, there we worked with the mosque leaders as well to kind of explore ways to build, to build feelings of safety. But that, you know, that impact and that, that ripple effect can be, you know, can be quite, quite, um, you know, far reaching and, um, you know, can impact not just the person themselves, but their family and, of course, their, um, you know, their community as well. And in what ways can uh, individuals support your organisation's effort uh, to combat these hate crimes and uh, support the victims? I'm sorry, can you say that one again? Sorry. So in what ways can individuals support your organisation's efforts to combat the hate crimes and actually to support the victims as well? Yeah, so I think, I mean, this, you know, what we're seeing at the moment, I guess, can really raise a question, you know, for all of us, I think, isn't it, in terms of how we support each other. Hmm. And when that, you know, that finger of hate is pointing, you know, at others, how do we express the unity and solidarity that we would want to see point, you know, directed at us if we were facing that hate? You know, how can we support others and help to break that that cycle of harm that comes from, you know, from hate crime in our immediate communities, hmm. but also, you know, society as a as a whole. So I think there's big questions for all of us at the moment, aren't there? But particularly, you know, if you are aware of somebody that has experienced hate or you just want to start that conversation, you know, in your community, please, you know, do tell people about us. Our service is free, it's completely confidential. You know, as I mentioned, we can help people in the way that, you know, that is best for them. They can direct it. Um, but that support is, you know, is there by a specialist team. Um, so let people know that we're there. But, you know, also as, a, as an active bystander, and that ally, you know, whoever they are, reach that hand out, you know, to them and, and check in how they're doing. You know, victims often tell us some of the biggest um, differences they see is when somebody's validated them and has said, you know, I see you, I see what's happening to you, you know, I'm acknowledging, you know, what's happened. Because we often minimalise, we often normalise, you know, hate us, that's if we're repeat victims, you know, as well, to do you know, reach out in your community and to those around you and just let them know that you're there. Um, but also organisations mm. um, like ours have got specialist teams on hand if you need that kind of support. And are there any specific communities or demographics that are more vulnerable to hate crimes? And then how do you tailor your organisation to meet and support those yeah, so there are, um, you know, there are some groups of people that are more likely to experience, you know, hate crime. And when we look at the, you know, the hate crime statistics, you know, race is the, you know, is the highest and continues, you know, to be, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but it can it can also depend on, you know, where you're living and the kind of makeup of your communities as well. So anybody could, you know, be at risk of being, um, you know, of experiencing hate crime because of, you know, after ha you know having a protected characteristic or being perceived to have one, you know, as well. So anybody really you know could um you know could be a victim but in tailoring our support you know again 
you know, as I mentioned, you know, we, everything that we do is geared, to, it's very victim-focused, victim it's very it's geared to what that person needs. Um, it's very culturally sensitive, you know, as well to, um, you know, to the victim's needs as well. And we, you know, we take it in the direction that they want. If somebody wants that advocacy, they want us to take the police to them, they want us to report, you know, to the police for them as a third-party reporting centre, you know, we can do that. If it's just that support and reassurance, you know, that they need, absolutely, that's there, you know, for them too so it's you know completely directed by that that person i think that's very important you know it's not going to run away um you know without them you know with them feeling that they're not having control really it's there for them and you know and fit the purpose for them as well right uh Rebecca, we we are seeing um very strong um dividing lines in in terms of how the media reports some of the events around us. I mean, the uh, the current um, unfortunate events in the in the Middle East um, being one of them. Um, and then you know we have uh, some right wing politicians also stoking up hatred. Do you think we're fighting a losing battle here? Um, it's a very very interesting question, and I think. For us, um, you know, people who are, you know, in our communities and working in our communities or working with communities, I think it's worth us remembering that, I guess, global events are not going to stop, you know, there's, there's going to be, you know, there, there, there will be other things too that kind of stoke tensions in our, you know, in society and in our communities as well. Um, so I think it's a question of, you know, community resilience as well. So whatever happens in the media, whatever happens with, you know, with party politics or other people that are speaking, you know, in the public sphere, is what are we going to do on the ground in our communities? You know, we can make a huge difference by consciously thinking about who and what we are as active bystanders and where we want to direct our unity and, you know, and solidarity to and the difference that we can make in terms of how people feel safe living in the neighbourhood as well so I think there's, there's so much power in communities you know at the moment in that sense and I just think it's such an important question you know for all of us at the moment in terms of you know what we can do with that power and how we can change you know people's lives in our communities and our neighborhoods. Do you think this is uh, we are where we are at the moment because of um, lack of a of sense of justice in the society and lack of 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 justice um, in reality as well, and um, do you think that it, it really is something that uh, that's what uh, which is what we need to restore in the society to in, in in the global society? I mean, in terms of global affairs as well, to restore confidence among people that yes, they're uh, you know um, that things are being dealt with and things uh, things are being dealt with in a just manner. Do you think it's the absence of justice which is leading to some of this or not? I think, you know, the question of justice is such an interesting one. Um, we find when we're, you know, we're talking to victims, particularly of hate crimes, that people's idea or desire for justice can be very different. Um, so for some people, it is about things like they want to see justice through the criminal justice system. You know, they want to see the person that has hurt them have the full, you know, force of the law. They want to see the sentence uplift. You know, let's not forget we've got, you know, in the UK particularly, we've got some other, you know, we've got tools there. That means that if somebody, you know, has conducted a hate crime and it goes to court, you know, the, the judge can, can, you know, and considering a sentence, the judge can add a 20% uplift. So that applies to sentencing and, in, in, you know, custodial custodial sentences that applies to 
community orders that applies to fines, you know, etc. The judge can add that extra on for, um, you know, crimes that are committed with hostility and, and prejudice and a hate crime. There's, there are some tools there for us to seek, you know, kind of extra justice, I guess, in terms of in terms of hate. Um, but the prosecution, you know, rates are so low at the moment. And part of the problem that we've got in the UK in terms of that particular type of justice um, is the lack of evidence that comes with some of these crimes. So when we're talking about being that active bystander and we're talking about what can we, you know, what can we do, one clear pathway is actually witness statement, you know, because that evidence is there then to support that, you know, that prosecution. But in terms of victims themselves, you know, sense of justice can vary so much and it's exciting to see more conversations about restorative justice, you know, happening in, in communities at the moment. Because for some people, you know, like I said, they want that full arm of the law. And then for other people, they actually, you know, they want to change that person's mindset or they want the opportunity to. And restorative justice doesn't work everywhere. You know, it's got to be appropriate. It's got to be fit for purpose for that, you know, particular case. Um, there's got to be desire on part of the perpetrator to, you know, to change. But there are some huge opportunities there, I think, that are yet to be explored um, in terms of, you know, looking at that different sense of, of justice that, you know, that people have. And I guess that, you know, you've mentioned about the global context, I guess that, that applies, you know, people's sense of justice is going to be very, very different. But as a country, you know, we can decide that actually our justice sits there and we want to, you know, you know we want to see that prosecutions go up because we want that full arm of the law to work where it's supposed to, um, you know, but also recognising what people's, you know, personal views are on justice and making sure that they speak those as well. Because if you've been, you know, the, you know, the victim of hate and, you know, not forget, you know, identity-based crimes, instead of the one crime type that point a finger at you and, you know, that person was to hurt you because of their prejudice and hostility, um, people's sense of justice is also just as, you know, just as personal um, as well. And just in your opinion, um, do you think the sentences are inadequate, and could that be one of the reasons that, or one of the reasons, one of the things that could be focused on to sort of stop this by having stronger sentences? Yes, I think the you know there's there's a lack of evidence at the moment in terms of hmm. how effective the kind of sentence uplifts are as a deterrent. There's definitely space for a bit more research for us to understand: is that the thing that you know that's deterring people, or is that the thing that makes us just feel that, you know, yes, they've had something extra because we've recognised that, you know, that hate element is there. So I think there's a lot more research, you know, to do, but also a lot more work to be done in terms of exploring the different options for, you know, for the deterrence and, again, quality research to understand if those are working, you know, or not, um, you know, because we've got, we, there are different motivations for hate and we've got to explore the different routes for, you know, for stopping that happening in the first place, but also stopping people, you know, stopping it from happening again. We don't just want to criminalise somebody and let them go off and do the same thing to somebody else. It's what a lot of victims tell us when, you know, we talk about things like restorative justice, you know, as well. So I think there's a lot more for us to explore in this country definitely sure uh becca thank you so very much for joining us this was very thank insightful you. really enjoyed talking to you have a lovely weekend and peace be with you thank you very much peace with you thank you thank you so that was becca rosenthal who is a hate crime lead at victim support let me now go straight to our second guest for the hour which is matt dix uh, who is a development coach at mencap assalamualaikum peace be with you a very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Hi there, thanks for having me. Well, lovely to have you. Um, let's uh, maybe uh, talk about uh, 
uh, hate crimes and um, uh, uh, such like against people with learning difficulties uh, because that's not something that's talked about much. So um, how common in your experience of working with people um, with learning dis disabilities is uh, or are hate crimes? Um, it, it's very hard to say because a lot of it's not reported. Um, right. But in my personal experience, I have uh, seen and spoken to a lot of people that have, have suffered from hate crime because of their learning disability. Right. So, uh, and in, in your view, is again, is the epidemic on the rise? Um, so, yeah, so some stats from uh, March last year actually showed a 43% increase in disability hate crime. Wow. Now, we don't have that so uh, so specific to uh, learning disability hate crime, but uh, it's, in, it's the biggest rise since 2017, really. Um, so that the figures kind of speak for themselves there. Right. So is that something that you specialize in, in terms of your work, working with people with learning disabilities? It's it's not a, a specialist, but it is it is something that comes up in my work. Um, I, I support uh, colleagues at Mencap um, and through working with them have heard of stories of hate crime and, and uh, yeah, discrimination and things like that. So, uh, again, in your experience, then, how, how different or difficult is it for um, you to help somebody uh, who has learning difficulties versus somebody who might not have any difficulties? It's, it's quite hard because even reporting the crime, uh, people with learning disabilities might um, might not understand that a crime is happening to them. Hmm. Um they might think that it is uh, just somebody being nasty to them and they can go about their business. Um, people also understanding what a learning disability is is, is another hard point um, because right. a, a lot of people don't understand what a learning disability is. It's quite mm. hard mm. to uh, then put in the right support for that victim. So, so what sort of strategies then uh, you do you employ to help those uh, once you've identified somebody who uh, has learning difficulties or disabilities and has been a victim of a hate crime? So obviously the support uh, would be put in uh, someone they trust, it. maybe a family member could right. could go with them to the police to help them report the crime. Um, then during, uh, if it was, if it was um, kind of, carried on and, and people were found, uh, the, the perpetrators were found, then uh, obviously the ongoing support throughout throughout the justice system would be put in place, hopefully. Um, so that could be, again, someone they trust or, or a, a specialist who uh, is uh, both a specialist in people with learning disabilities, but also in supporting uh, victims of crime. And of course, once you've got the family members involved, it's probably easier to get them to report. Uh, but in terms of your coaching approach, how do you ensure that in individuals with these learning disabilities actually feel empowered in the first place to be able to report and to feel confident and to actually make these reports of yes, the hate crimes? It's, 
it's about it's really about education it's about talking about kind of what what a hate crime is um there is also uh, a thing called mate crime which is uh very prevalent in people with learning disabilities it's where people take advantage of vulnerable people um mm. so it's again about the education in that it's about um working with the police and and uh educating them about learning disabilities but also them educating people with learning disabilities around reporting of hate crime and how they can do that and and what will be in place when they do that mm. and how can we as a community raise awareness against the challenges individuals face with learning disabilities um in relation to these hate crimes especially it's a it, it it's again about education um going back kind of to what a learning disability is. A lot of people still don't understand what a learning disability is. A lot of people mm. get it confused with mental health issues. Um, learning disability is not a mental health issue. It, it's its own thing. Um, not to say people with a learning disability can't suffer with mental health issues. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then in the justice system, I think uh, the the punishments and, and legislation should be made tougher because people don't see disability hate crime as as a serious hate crime um, as other kind of um, hate crimes are reported on or spoken about um, so I'd really like to see it disability hate crime kind of seen as serious as of the other forms of hate crime Sure, obviously probably more serious, I, I would imagine, uh, given that uh, uh, you know those poor people can't even recognize um, w- what's actually happening to them. Um, so, uh, uh, but maybe uh, sort of enlarging the cam- the canvas of our discussion, as a development coach, how, uh, what sort of people do you generally help? So I work in Maincap with our colleagues with a learning disability. So, so everyone I work with at the minute is uh, a colleague of mine at Maincap in different teams um, but they all have uh, a job at Mencap. In my in previous roles I was a support worker in the community um, and that's where I've seen uh, more of the kind of victims of uh, mate and hate crime. Right and when you um, support your uh, your colleagues these I would imagine these colleagues have learning difficulties themselves? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, right. the, the people I support have learning disabilities. Okay. And and these um, and what's the sort of job role of these these individuals? So a few of them are, uh, one is in the campaign team as campaigns officer, one is in the parliamentary team as parliamentary and government engagement officer, um, one is disability accessibility officer. They, they have varied roles um, right. throughout throughout the organization um but very kind of substantial roles it's not it's not a tokenistic role of having someone learn disability in the in the organization and if it's i may what what sort of learning disabilities um uh, uh, do these people generally have it's it's ve- again very varied um it's it's sometimes very hard to put specific labels on people with learning disabilities they will just be diagnosed with learning disabilities mm. so uh, not everyone has 
uh, Down syndrome. Not everyone has other uh, kind of labelled learning disabilities. Some some are just diagnosed with learning disability. Um, so yes, it's varied. Right. Okay. And and therefore, I guess that presents a challenge as well in terms of your work because if it's so varied, then your response has to be very varied as well. I would imagine. Imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I I treat everyone as an individual. Um, oh. It it's uh, it's how I've always worked. It's how I will always work. Um, I don't see people with a learning disability. I just see people. Right. And do you see, um, if I may, um, the people that you're working with are, uh, do they belong to different ethnicities as well and different backgrounds and maybe different religions? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my colleague Ishmael, he, he's Muslim. Uh, Vijay, he's Hindu. Uh, we have right. uh, white Christians, um, white atheists. Yeah, kind sure. of different ethnicities and religions. And and again, uh, you know, in the light of recent events, what's happening in the Middle East at the moment, have you seen any particular trend uh, in terms of rise in hate crimes or or, or challenge for a particular ethnicity? Um, I mean, in the world, yes. In in my in my little part of the world, right. uh, fortunately, not. Okay, well, that's that's uh, good to hear, right? Um, and I and I hope that that becomes true for uh, uh, for the rest of the world as well. Unfortunately, we, we seem to be headed in a very wrong direction here, right? Um, Matt, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you. Have a lovely weekend and peace be with you. With ET. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was uh, Matt Cox, um, who is um, a, a development coach at Mencap. Uh, sorry, Matt Dix, a development coach at Mencap. Right. Um, if I can come to you, Imam, um, um, Imam Ali, uh, what do you... Uh, let's maybe t- take a step back here. And uh, let's uh, maybe uh, if I can take you um, 1400 years back and ask you what the um, teachings of the Prophet, Prophet Muhammad, the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the Prophet of Islam, what, what, what were his teachings around um, dealing with different races, around um, dealing with... Uh, 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 with the other in in general. Did he say anything at all uh, around that? Was was there anything um, uh, during his lifetime that was um, uh, that's worth talking about and uh, worth highlighting? Mm, so so one thing here is actually I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought this side up as well because what I've noticed is um, and especially you might be seeing it doing the rounds on Twitter especially with the recent events is sometimes people believe that the reason all of these problems are happening is because of religion. Yeah. Whereas that's not the case. In fact, religion actually came to get rid of these vices and the and these issues in society in the first place. And that's the whole reason people were actually able to turn to religion because they were inclined with their righteousness and they, and they realized that there was a change needed. And with time, different teachings came for different people until the Quran came, which was a complete teaching. Mm. And again, it's what happens is people or individuals will use the religion card or maybe they will genuinely misunderstand it but a lot of times they'll just use it for their own personal vested interests absolutely and yeah. if i could just quickly interject yeah. before you um you take us back to 1400 years uh, we've seen jews marching uh for palestinian rights 
we've seen uh, many Muslims talking about the atrocities of October the 7th um, when um, uh, when Hamas led those attacks. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is this is got this is uh, there is little connection with religion and more with geopolitics and uh, more with other issues. Uh, and unfortunately, those um, things have been exacerbated. Absolutely. And I mean, religion has you know, placed such emphasis on, on eradicating these things. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, the, the main principle of Islam, fulfilling the rights to God and fulfilling the rights to his people, his creation. And his creation would not even just include uh, humans, but animals and, and everything else, plants even, even trees. I mean, a couple of shows back we were doing, uh, during a war, you shouldn't chop down trees, which are fruit bearing. So just little things. But I mean, for example, in terms of the Holy Prophet, وسلم, you know, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, as um, you've asked, uh, in his last sort of sermon, and uh, in his uh, pilgrimage, last pilgrimage, the, fa- the farewell sermon, it's known as, uh, I read a little extract of that just so you understand how much emphasis was placed. Sure. So he says, Allah has made you brethren, one to another, so be not divided. An Arab has no prefer- uh, preference over a non-Arab nor a non-Arab over an Arab, nor is a white one to be preferred to a dark one, nor a dark one to a white one. And then he says again, I'm leaving you, I'm leaving something with you that will safeguard, uh, safeguard you against all error if you hold manifest to it. That is Allah's book. And again, at the end of it, he says, you know, um, present the message to those aren't, that aren't here. Maybe they will be able to understand it better than those that are here. So meaning, and of course, the Quran is a teaching for the rest of time. So it just shows how that teaching that was brought was from 1400 years ago he, he, to eradicate these things. And it's when you deviate from the understanding of it or when you misunderstand it or when you you know, use it for your personal interest, that's when, you're, um, that's when all these issues occur. And maybe those that aren't as, uh, as well-versed, they might think that, oh, wait, the reason behind this is religion. Mm. Whereas if we look at even history... So forget the religious aspect of it, just rationally or logically, if you look at history and the issues at the times, and not from, you know, the history written by Muslim or, um, you know, Christian, let's say, uh, historians, but if you just look at the history um, in terms of the issues and the vices that were going on before religion or before that prophet came, it becomes apparent that the problem is not actually religion, rather the solution is religion. Mm. Mm. And um, even, for example, if you look at the Holy Prophet ﷺ during his life, his treatment of Bilal was, was well, again, as we know, he's an Abyssinian slave. Mm. So d- different skin color to everyone else. Mm. Um, and when he was being mocked for how he used to do the azan, he, he couldn't say ashadu, he used to say and, he, and, you know, he was, he was mocked for it. And the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, peace be upon him, that, you know, um, he said, uh, how, if you knew how, how beloved this is to God, you know, how, how he's saying it. <laughs> She just goes to show, for example, mm-hmm. we were talking about uh, disabi- uh, learning disabilities. Uh, maybe this is just sometimes you can't pronounce certain words and we see people are making fun of it. Yeah, That's just a, a bit of ignorance. And and then he actually uh, made him do azan throughout his life. So he was the official muazzin, mm. uh, uh, the person who actually says the call to prayer in the mosque during the time of the Holy Prophet. And uh, uh, to the point that actually... W- after the passing of Holy Prophet, I think uh, it is narrated that um, that he migrated to another place, and then he was once called back actually to to do the azan, and and people cried when when he did the the azan then because that um, brought us brought everybody back to the times of the Holy Prophet. Yeah, um, and another thing was as well, um, 
uh, when he came back, I think it may have been during the time of Umar. I may be wrong on which caliph it was, but he was called back, and um, he was brought to the front. So when when he came, th- yeah. there were you know other uh, companions who mm. maybe had been non-Muslims, and their service was not as much. So again, when he was called forward, th- th- everyone's confused. Why has he been called forward? And 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 the th- uh, and the, and the caliph said that because of his service to Islam. Because again, as we as we uh, went on earlier, that you're judged on your taqwa, which is your fear and your your righteousness, your piety, your fear of God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and not anything else. Yeah, and. Um, I'm reminded of another uh, very important incident in the, uh, in Islamic history, which is that, again, uh, you know, Hazrat Bilal, who was uh, uh, whose background was that he was a black slave, and um, during um, uh, the time that he was a slave and he wasn't um, uh, released, he was actually persecuted a lot because he converted to Islam in Mecca, and when. Um, uh, the Prophet came back to Mecca as a victor, he actually asked uh, Hazrat Bilal to hold a flag. And he told everybody that whoever comes under the flag of Bilal, uh, a black man, I mean, just think about the, the scenario there. I mean, they, they, a, a, you know, formerly a slave uh, who had migrated to Medina in very difficult circumstances, being persecuted for his religion and all, obviously for his color. And and here he was, uh, you know, made a leader and given a flag of Islam and, and said that, okay, now all the other leaders actually who were there in Mecca, now you, if you decide to choose to come under the flag of Bilal, you will be forgiven. So, I mean, just mm. imagine the symbolic importance of that. Mm, definitely. So, uh, you know, again, some of the incidents. Um, going back to the um, to the last sermon, the last mm. sermon of the Holy Prophet of Islam, uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, the last sermon uh, during his Hajj, the pilgrimage that he mm. did, um, he talked about this equality of of races. He talked about uh, the equality uh, or, or um, no discrimination between people of different colors and, and shouldn't be discriminated. Well, Maybe can you give us some examples of what is is that he actually said um, during that last uh, penultimate sermon of his? So what he did say is, of course, that again, as I was trying, as a, the Quran says as well, that you know, it's the it's your taqwa, it's your, it's your fear of God. That's what he was explaining that you're ranked because of your, as we said, your deeds and, and your righteousness and piety, and it's not really a case of. Um, just because someone is of one color, or rather, these things are told in the Quran that we're told in the, taught in the Quran that these things are for recognition. Um, your tribe, or your name, your name, and um, your skin, and these things are just to differentiate and just for the recognition, not because of, uh, and because of that, no one is superior to another. Uh, the purpose is just recognition, and even um, now as well. Um, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he stated as well that it is extremely important that you always treat everyone with whom you come into contact with kindness and sincerity. Remember that taking care of one another is a basic teaching of the Holy Quran. And we see as well that we're taught that whether someone is in need in Islam, whether no matter what religion they are, even if you are praying and someone, let's say, is about to drown or, or that, you should 
leave that and it doesn't matter what religion they are or what they are every life is just important and every human is just as important so you have to go and save them which is just teaching equality as well um and actually now i'm going to go on to more of the sort of the broader impact as well sure we see that um hate crimes extend actually beyond the actual victim um they send a message of fear and hostility to an entire community uh, associated with uh, those c- characteristics and what it does is actually creates a society of insecurity and marginal marginalization and that's when we see problems occurring uh maybe people going into gangs or uh you know people wanting revenge and and this and that so these all actually stem from it might be a little thing someone has said which would trigger someone else and i think one of the things that we should focus on is maybe reporting it and uh, its documentation uh reporting mechanisms and documentation of hate crimes are crucial uh, and and the reason for that is because um if they're not reported they can't be dealt with as uh, i think I quote um I guess Matt told us as well uh, there's a lack of um education and education in terms of people being taught what is uh, what's wrong maybe it's logical but maybe that there needs to be that distinction where extra education is given but also extra education it needs to maybe be given to those who are struggling with those um learning uh, difficulties so they are able to distinguish that they're being mocked and you know what this is not all right someone coming to you and saying this maybe with a smile or something this is, doesn't mean they're your friend and this is something that you should bring up to your relatives friends or family whoever's looking after you um and then of course they should be reported because once they are reported that only then can law enforcement agencies and community organizations and advocacy groups play the vital roles that they need to play in this process otherwise if it's left there's no proof for it there's no way and if no one knows about it then nothing can be done about it um and again the impact on the community is uh, i mean maybe if, if the psychologically it's detrimental to a, a whole different level i think even my time in school i've seen that if someone is mocked or for certain they they start to feel uh, even someone with that language disability someone who's mocked for um maybe being different mm. they then start to feel uh as as if they're less than the other than the other people so if they're for example asian and they and they're called you know racist terms or something they might start feeling a little bit insecure with when their parents come and, and maybe they can't speak as fluent the language as fluently as others they might feel a little bit embarrassed or they, they might feel a little bit embarrassed about their costumes or whatever they uh, and it's just because they the commute the, the people they're around and that comment that one comment or that one thing that you've said is now spark this thing inside the person where they feel insecure so it's actually much more than just the direct impact because then that affects the whole family sure and 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 can leave um, actually uh, can leave lifelong uh, scars as well um i i i we're coming towards the end of uh, this segment and i want to um end by going back to the point that i was uh, raising with becca which is about this lack of uh, sense of justice in the world and um and and when i say that i you know i am talking about addressing the the pandemic of hate crime at its root because if uh, my sense is that a lot of these hate crimes happen because um people think that there is there is no no justice happening in the world i mean look at the the atrocities that are being committed uh, against the palestinian people at the moment 
um, for over a month now, uh, you know, this collective punishment uh, to the to an entire population of more than two million people because of an act, uh, um, a wrong act committed by uh, a handful of of militants. But unfortunately, civilians are are having to pay the price of that, and that then sense of injustice is is what goes around the world that and and you know who is overseeing all of this united nations is totally helpless united united nations which is supposed to be enforcing the interests of the oppressed here should be should be safeguarding the interests of the oppressed uh, is absolutely toothless is absolutely powerless and um, we see these um, uh, these one-sided debates on the media as well, and and that breeds a sense of injustice in the society. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that uh, you know unless we all learn to be to be just, and and unless we all learn to be to be fair, and 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 call a spade a spade, we will continue to go around and chase our, uh, continue to chase our tails and uh, you know no matter how much money we invest in in dealing with hate crimes we've got to address the problem at its root so it's uh, you know it's uh, it's a problem that uh, that is a global problem and it's a problem that uh, needs more investment i think in education and uh, more investment in in uh, in, in establishing rule of law and justice around the world. I think um, that's that's an important thing that you've actually pointed on. Um, and our caliph, Mirza Musul Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, he's actually, uh, especially in the peace symposiums as well, he's uh, uh, emphasized this point more and more that justice is very, very important. And uh, it's actually something which has been um, sort of expounded upon in the Quran as well, uh, where in chapter 16, verse 91, uh, God Almighty states that verily Allah enjoins justice and the doing of good to others and giving like kindred and forbids indecency and manifest evil and wrongful transgression. And here again, the main thing or the main reason or the main issue is a lack of justice, whether that be in a social or uh, a more sort of worldwide um, specter. So we need to actually try and enforce and enjoy justice as best as we can. And this is something our caliph has... Um, yeah, it's been speaking about it every week um, after every Friday prayers as exactly. well. Um, let me uh, now end the show by uh, reading some extracts uh, from this, uh, the final sermon uh, of the Holy Prophet of Islam um, given at his, at his final pilgrimage in Mecca. So he said, and I quote, I bear witness that there is none worthy of worship save Allah, the one without associate, and I bear witness that Muhammad is a servant and his messenger. I do not think, O people, that we shall be gathered together here again. Your belongings, your honor, and your lives are sanctified and made inviolate like the sanctity of this day, this month, and this city. You will soon appear before your Lord and he will call you to account for all your doings. Take heed that you do not go astray after I am gone 
and start slaying one another. And then he goes on to say, Allah has made you brethren one to another, so be not divided. An Arab has no preference over a non-Arab, and a non-Arab over an Arab, nor is a white one to be preferred to a dark one, nor a dark one to a white one. I am leaving something with you that will safeguard you against all error if you hold fast to it. That is Allah's book. Unquote. And this really sums up, and, and mind you, this is 1400 years ago. This, you know, what he's, I mean, if you, if you understand the context, this is revolutionary teaching uh, mm. being given at a time uh, to Arabs who had a superiority com uh, complex. And he was standing amongst them and told them, looking in their eyes, listen, you do not have any superiority over, over anybody else. And a white man does not have a superiority over a black man, and you don't have superiority over over any black man, and vice versa. He went so far in this that even uh, in the treatment of slaves, as I was saying, there's examples where, for example, Ali was he bought two garments and he would give the top. He was wearing one, the top of one and gave the uh, the bottom of that one to the slave, and then mixed so just be, so they could be equal and and they could be treated right, and and then. Uh, another quote I've actually got is of um, His Holiness. He, he said in his address uh, at the inauguration of the Betel Ikram Mosque in Leicester, right. he said that it is the duty of Muslims to live peacefully alongside others and rather than oppose other religions or to harm their places of worship, it is the duty of Muslims to protect them. And that goes in, in hand with the verse of the Quran where we're told um, that synagogue cloisters, if there was no self-defense done, then the, all of these places would have been destroyed. So, Which places I mentioned, just to be clear? So the religious... Mosques, synagogues, cloisters... Churches. And churches. These yeah. all to be protected. Correct. Uh, I, I just, uh, I think we, we are running short on the time left, but I just wanted to go on how to report the hate crimes. Yeah, yeah please I think do. that that's quite an important aspect. Um, it's an important uh, step in terms of preventing such incidents from happening as well. So if you witness one, you can report it through various channels. Uh, I mean, emergency, of course, you can call 999. If there's immediate danger of witnessing a crime in progress, just call 999 and get them there urgently, especially if it's of f physical or violent nature. And for non-urgent, uh, uh, non-emergency police reporting, rather, I would say call 111, uh, sorry, 101, um, and that's how you can collect, uh, connect to your local police force. Um, and that's where you can report and give all the information or seek assistance. And another thing you can do is you can visit a police station in, in person uh, to report such an event. So it's quite important to try and do your bit and not just in one ear out the other. It's something where you have to make your effort as well. And I would say if you're witnessing it happening, you're not doing anything about it, you're part of the problem. Absolutely. Thank you very much um, for that um, yeah, as well. Let me conclude by... Um, this verse from the, the Holy Quran, which actually reminds us to remain humble um, and and not belittle anybody else uh, and think that we are superior because uh, we are all creation of God, uh, who is actually the all-powerful. As he says in chapter 22, verse, 20, verse 74 to 75, 
Surely those on whom you call instead of Allah cannot create even a fly, though they combine together for the purpose. And if the fly should snatch away anything from them, they cannot recover it therefrom. Weak indeed are both the seeker and the sought. They esteem not Allah with the estimation which is his due. Surely Allah is powerful, mighty. Once again, that's uh, in the Quran, chapter 22, verse 74, verses 74 and 75. That was um, the first hour of our drive time show today, which was about hate crimes. Uh, in the second hour, we will be talking about um, something rather different. So we will be talking about Prophet Adam and we'll talk. We'll be talking about whether Prophet Adam uh, as is generally known uh, from religious texts, um, whether he was actually the first man on planet Earth or was he the first prophet on planet Earth? Because science does tell us that Earth was created billions of years ago and humans appeared millions of years ago, not only uh, 6,000 years ago when uh, Adam um, or Prophet Adam seems to have appeared. Five o'clock news is next. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording. And lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Drive Time Show. From the South London studios of Voice of Islam, the time is 5.03 p.m. And we are about to delve into the second topic of the evening, which is about Prophet Adam. Was he the first man or the first prophet? So the majority of us um, have been and still are interested to find out how and when the human race started and where we came from who our ancestors were, or even whether or not the stranger sitting opposite you on a train is in fact somehow related. Questions such as have such as that have always led back to the same answer. The human race started from Adam and his wife Eve, the first man and the first woman to have walked this earth, both of whom are also known as the father and mother of humankind. But is that really true? Did the human race not exist before Adam and Eve? And what does Islam say about that? That we we believe he was the first uh, uh, prophet, but he was not the first human on right. earth. Uh, as MD Muslims, we that's our uh, belief. Okay. Um, so who was who was Adam then? Adam was the first prophet, and he lived about six thousand years ago. And as we know, the world's been around for millions of years. And most probably was born in what is present-day Iraq. He is uh, popularly believed to be the first man, uh, but this view in our opinion is wrong uh, the world has passed through different cycles of creation and civilization and uh, Adam Prophet Adam peace be upon him the progenitor of the present human race is only the first link in the present cycle and not the very first man in God's creation and nations then, uh, have risen and fallen before him and so, uh, have appeared and perished civilizations and many uh, other cycles of human civilizations have appeared and disappeared um, actually, Muhyiddin ibn Arbi, the great Muslim mystic, says that once he saw himself in a dream performing a circuit of the Kaaba. In the dream, a man who claimed to be one of his ancestors appeared before him. How long is it since you died? asked ibn Arbi. More than 40,000 years, the man replied. But this period is much more than what separates us from Adam, peace be upon him. Sa'd said a surprised ibn Arbi. The man replied, of which Adam, peace be upon uh, of which Adam, peace be upon him, are you are you speaking of? Mm. About the Adam uh, who is uh, nearest to you, uh, or 
to, nearest to you or of some some other. Then uh, I recollected, he says, uh, Ibn Arbi, a, a person, uh, a saying of the Holy Prophet to the effect that God has brought into being no less than a hundred thousand Adams, peace be upon them. And I said to myself, perhaps this man who claims to be an ancestor of mine was one of the previous Adams. And right. That's in Fatuhat, yeah. Excellent. So, so the main question then still remains, was Adam again the first man? So God Almighty says in the Holy Quran, and when thy Lord said to the angels, I am about to place a vice regent in the earth, they said, Wilt thou place therein such as will cause, cause disorder in it and shed blood? We glorify thee with thy praise and extol thy holiness. He answered, I know what you know not. Chapter 2, verse 31. Yes, Imam Ali. I was just going to say, from that verse, it's evident that Adam, um, peace be upon him, was not the first man. As God Almighty states in the verse that he will place a, a vice uh, vicegerent, which is a khalifa, we would say, in the earth. And, and that means successor. So khalifa means successor. So men must have existed and lived on earth before him in order for him to have succeeded someone. Right. And that's why we believe he was the first prophet and not the human, because we believe the Quran itself is, is alluding to that. Sure. Uh, this question was posed to the fourth head uh, of the Ahmadiyya community as well. And uh, he answered that question. Let's listen in to what he said. Uh, the question is that was Hazrat Adam the first man? The answer in short to that is no. He was not the first man. There were men before him. And which were the people whom he addressed as a prophet? The second part of your question. And the answer is that his people where he was born, his own tribe, that tribe which had developed to, ex to an extent that it was uh, in the eyes of uh, the sight of Allah capable of receiving a Sharia, a law from God. They were in fact the most developed people of, of that age. And uh, they had reached a point of sophistication and of culture where they were capable of receiving Allah's message and ultimately uh, paying due heed to it, though in the beginning they didn't, but ultimately I mean. So that is the institution of prophethood which is mentioned. So the first man capable of receiving a revelation from Allah, that was Adam, but not the first man. The first man lies long, I mean, was born, say, many, many hundred thousand years ago. So far they have discovered the bodies of, of men known to have buried long, long ago. And they describe, they have been preserved in fact now. So the more famous among them is Neanderthal man. And then China, Chinese men, so some place, Canton or some other place. So they have been naming them according to the place where they were discovered. And I don't remember exactly, but I think it is a few hundred thousand years ago that the first man, uh, ago that they have the evidence that at least a man was present in their age. 
Beyond that, they don't know yet. So that was the fourth head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, or the fourth successor to the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mr. Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul, uh, talking about um, uh, or, or lifting the whale on this uh, uh, this discussion about whether he was the first man, whether Adam was the first man or the first prophet, and he clearly said that he was indeed the first uh, first prophet. Um, so, Imam uh, Ali, what does uh, science say about when and where the human race uh, actually began? Mm, I think that's an important aspect today because, of course, if you're not of a religious background or if you do not believe in a religion, you might think, you want to believe or you need sort of your point of interest would be science so in terms of science um, homo sapiens actually originated in africa before dispersing around the world and became the only uh, and becoming the only surviving species of human left today so modern humans have evolved uh, in africa around 200,000 years ago way before hazrat adam who has adam who was um, 6000 years ago Fossils show that rather than uh, springing fully formed from Africa, typical modern human characteristics instead built up over time. They also suggest that there may have been at least two waves of migration out of Africa, one dating back around 100,000 years ago, and then another or the second dating around 60,000 years ago. And outside of uh, Africa, we are all descendants of those who left in the second wave of migration. And archaeological discoveries... um, would then leave us actually lead us to believe that in any case humans had inhabited various parts of the world actually before the advent of Adam. This is, however, contradictory to a statement of the Bible uh, that Adam was the first man created on earth in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and chapter 2, verse 8. This is one of the pronouncements of the, of the Bible, which, uh, being in conflict with science, has actually let a lot of people's minds uh, uh, you know, be put into doubt uh, about its authenticity and about the very existence of God's revelation. And that has actually led them down the spiral of becoming agnostics or atheists. However, of course, we believe he was not the first man. Uh, and the promised Messiah, peace uh, be upon him, um, answered a question regarding whether all mankind came from the same Adam, as reported in Malfuzad, volume 10, and right. page 426. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read the quote, which is, we do not follow the Bible in holding that the world began with the birth of Adam six or seven thousand years ago, mm-hmm. and that before this there was nothing, and God was, as it were, idle and without work. Neither do we claim that all mankind who are now found in different parts of the world of of the earth are the progeny of the same Adam. On the contrary, we hold that this Adam was not the first man. Mankind existed even before him. So. Adam was not the first man, mankind existed even before him, as is hinted by the Qur'an itself when it says to Adam, I am about to place a khalifa in the earth. And a khalifa, as I said, would, would mean a successor. It is, uh, and that's uh, what the Prophet says as well, as khalifa means successor, it is clear that man existed even before Adam. Hence, we cannot say whether the original inhabitants of America, Australia, etc., are the progeny of this last Adam or some other Adam before him. Right, brilliant, absolutely. And um, regarding the creation of the whole mankind, Quran also says that, uh, and I quote, And of his science is that he created you from dust, then behold, you are men spreading over the earth. 
This is chapter 30, verse 21. And it follows from that that man spread to various parts of the earth in its early stages uh, of development. The evolutionary tree of human race sprang from the same root and spread in the form of branches, sub-branches, and further sub-branches over different parts of the, of the world. After man um, was created, God gave him proper form and provided him with proper uh, and appropriate guidance. As he says in the Holy Quran, our Lord is he who gave unto everything its proper form and then guided it to its proper function. Chapter 20, verse 51. So in short, the Holy Quran speaks of that Adam, peace be upon him, who was appointed as the Caliph and the first prophet of God and who was raised for the guidance of mankind. God taught him the knowledge and made him leader of men. He was appointed as a prophet in the gardens of Eden, which lay near Babylon uh, in Iraq, present-day Iraq. It was a very fertile land, bounding, abounding in its vendor, and was referred to as Jannah, that is, the garden. The, um, this point is easily confused sometimes with people believing that Prophet Adam was indeed in heaven uh, somewhere uh, in the metaverse and then set, sent down. And this was um, actually uh, not the case. Again, the fourth head or the fourth successor to the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mr. Ahmed, addressed this question as well. Let's listen into what he had to say. Uh, it is mentioned that Adam also was in the paradise or in heavens. Is it the same? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the Holy Quran is very clear on that issue. First of all, Adam was born here on earth, out of clay, out of dust. He was not born elsewhere in the heaven. So if Jannah is in the heaven somewhere, as the ulema would believe in somewhere very remote space, there exists a garden of Eden or something, then Adam should have been created there, or Adam should have been lifted from earth to that heaven. No such thing is mentioned. The Holy Quran speaks of his birthplace as this earth, and the Jannah in which he lived was on this earth. You understand the point? Yes, Second, uh, secondly, it's a very important thing. What is Jannah? It's a garden with thick foliage and fruits and trees. And the Holy Quran has itself explained the Jannah in which Adam was born. Adam was born in a Jannah with trees which were Tayyaba uh, and Tabi trees with the Khabisa. And God told him to partake of the fruits of the trees of Jannah, but should not go near the tree which bears Khabis or, or uh, sinful fruit the fruit of sin and sin of impiety. Now, what is that tree which bears piety? What is that tree which bears uh, impiety and sin and this and that? Let's turn to the Quran because, again, the Holy Quran does not need any help from outside. It can explain itself. We find mentioned in the Holy Quran that masalo kalimatin tayyibatin Shajaratin Tayyabatin Asluha Sabitun Wa Farroha Fissamai 
تو تھی اخلاح دس از دا میننگ آف ٹری کلیما تھا از دا ٹری اینڈ مثال اور مسل آف وومین بلیو از لائک کلیما تھا ورڈ آف گاڈ اینڈ ڈز ناٹ ڈیویٹ فرام دیٹ although that man believer true believer seems to be rooted on earth but his branches shoot off his trunk rises to heaven so he takes derives its fruit not from the earth but from the heaven and it knows no season even in spring it gives fruit even in autumn it gives fruit it's an everlasting fruit bearing person that is to say the moment lives with the signs of Allah, true believer. He receives his revelation from God. And that revelation knows no season. It's not confined to any particular time of the year or a period in his life. Once it comes, then it lives. The man lives with such a thing. This is Jannah. That is the true tree, which the Holy, the, the Allah told Adam that this is the Jannah created for you. That is the word of God, revelation of God, the Sharia. which has been revealed to you. If you live within the four walls of Sharia, then that will be Jannah for you and for the mankind. If you deviate from that and eat the fruit of that tree which is Khabitha, that is to mean that it violates the word of God. Kalimatan Khabitha. It has nothing to do with the word of God. Then to that extent you will suffer. And you will lose and destroy your own Jannah. So the moment it happened, then God decided that he should leave Jannah. All of you leave this Jannah now. So that was the fourth head of the Amdiya Muslim community, Hazrat Mr. Tahir have mercy on his soul, beautifully explaining what the word Jannah actually means um, as mentioned um, in the Quran here in this particular instance. Another entity that has been mentioned normally here um, uh, in the Quran is Iblis. What is the explanation of that entity? So an explanation of Iblis seems inevitable uh, as a lot of controversies prevail from this entity of Iblis. So Iblis is a being which contains little good and much of evil and which, on account of its having despaired of God's uh, mercy, owing to its disobedience, is left perplexed and confounded. Iblis is often considered the same as Satan, but in some cases also different from him. It must be understood that Iblis was not one of the angels. That's a common misconception that Iblis was an angel until he refused and The Holy Quran in chapter 2 verse 35 says, And remember the time when we said to the angels, Submit to Adam. And they all submitted, but Iblis did not. He refused and was too proud, and he was of the disbelievers. Now compare this to the angels who we are told are ever submissive and obedient to God. Uh, God was angry with Iblis, uh, with Iblis because he... Um, Two was to com- he was he too was to com- uh, commanded to uh, to serve and to uh, to serve Prophet Adam, but he disobeyed, uh, as we just saw in the verse. Uh, God said, "What prevented thee from submitting when I commanded thee?" He said, "I am better than he." 
Thou hast created me of fire, while him hast thou created of clay. And that's in chapter 7, uh, verse 13, for those wanting to know. And even if there was no um, separate commandment uh, for Iblis, the one of the uh, the the one for the angels can be extended to all beings because angels are the custodians of different parts of the universe. The commandment given to them automatically extends to all beings. Iblis is an uh, attributive name given to the evil spirit, opposed to the angels. He was he has been uh, he has been so named because he possesses the qualities of uh, being de- deprived of good, being left bewildered in the way and of despairing of God's mercy. That Iblis of Adam, peace be upon him, was not the Satan spoken of in verse 37 of Surah Baqarah where it says, but Satan caused them both to slip by means of it and drove them out of the state in which they were. And we said, go forth. Some of you are enemies of others and for you there is an abode in the heaven and a provision for time. Again, that's chapter 2 verse uh, 37. And it's apparent from the from the uh, the fact that the Quran mentions the two names side by side, so verse thirty seven and uh, again verse thirty five. The fact that the the names are mentioned side by side, wherever the the story of Adam, peace be upon him, is given, but everywhere a careful distinction is observed between the two. So wherever every time they're mentioned, there's a there's always a careful distinction. Uh, wherever it speaks of the being who, unlike the angels, refused to serve Adam, peace be upon him, it invariably mentions the name Iblis. And wherever it speaks of the being who beguiled uh, Adam, peace be upon him, and became the means of his being turned out of the garden, it mentions the name Satan. This distinction, uh, which is most significant and has actually been maintained throughout the Quran in, in 10 separate places, so. Chapter 2, verse uh, 35, as we said, verse 37. Chapter 7, verse 12. Uh, chapter 21, verse 15. Uh, chapter 32. And then we've got chapter 17, verse 62. Chapter 18, verse 51. Uh, chapter 20, verse 117, uh, 121. And chapter 38, verse 75. And actually, sorry, it was um, chapter 7, verse 12 and 21, and chapter 15, verse 32, and then chapter 17, verse 62. I think I messed up when I read it out, so I just want to make that clear. No. And it, it just clearly shows that Iblis is different from Satan, who, who misled Adam, and who was one of Adam's um, own people. Elsewhere, uh, so Iblis was one of the people. Um, Iblis is different from Satan and uh, who was one of Adam's people, uh, um, uh, own people. And elsewhere the Quran says that the Iblis is a, b- uh, belongs to a secret creation of God, unlike the angels, and was, cap- uh, uh, was capable of obeying and disobeying, whereas angels are just going to obey. So in um, the commentary of chapter 2, verse 86, we have uh, actually an audio of the difference between Satan and Iblis. Yes, we do. Let's listen in. Satan and Iblis, as I understand them, are, uh, though related to each other very deeply, but uh, have the relationship of principle and manifestation, mutual relationship. The fact is that according to a tradition of Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa 
Satan runs in everybody's blood. He is in the bloodstream of every human being. So nafse ammara is essentially the Satan. Your inclination to do evil, which is in every human being, that is Satan. If somebody becomes the manifestation of Satan, his whole being is overpowered with his will to do evil. And if this happens at the time of a prophet, then he becomes a symbol of hostility to that prophet, a symbol of rebellion and defiance. That symbol is called Iblis, and he appears in different forms at different times. Adam's Iblis was different, and Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa Sallallahu Iblis was different, and Moses' Iblis was different. In names, of course, in characters and things, but they are the fundamental quality of uh, their most unfortunate quality of rebellion and defiance. Right. So that clearly um, uh, makes um, makes it quite clear that there was there is a difference between Satan and Iblis, as mentioned in the Holy Quran, and also what Satan actually means. It's um, as uh, the fourth caliph of the Amni Muslim community mentions that Satan is um, is a state which which actually runs in our in everybody's blood, and that's. Um, um, that's something that uh, a, a, that state is something that everybody needs to struggle against, and that's that's the jihad again, um, which is your own struggle, and that's the biggest and the, and the most important form of jihad or the struggle that anybody can actually engage in, which is to to tame his or her own Satan. Um, the other important term that's um, mentioned in the Quran is the is that of the forbidden tree, and that's mentioned in the Bible as well. So um, we'll, we'll let's elaborate that um, a bit more now. So under the guidance of uh, God Almighty, Adam, Prophet Adam, built the house of God in Arabia. He and his followers turned to it in worship. This house united them and kept them focused. It is the same house which uh, is the present-day Kaaba in Mecca in Saudi Arabia. So basic rules for living in society were taught to the people through Adam, Prophet Adam. The fundamental rights given to all people through Adam are mentioned in the Holy Quran um, as follows. And I quote, It is decreed for thee, that thou shalt not hunger therein, nor shalt thou be naked, and that thou shalt not thirst therein, nor shalt thou be exposed to the sun. Chapter 20, verses 119 and 120. So in other words, provision of food, clothing, shelter, and water to the people was fixed as the duty of the authorities. Let me repeat that. This is the concept of welfare state, really. Uh, Quran talking about it 1,400 years ago. So the provision of food, clothing, shelter, and water to the people was fixed as the duty to the authorities. So through Adam, the social order for the progress and prosperity of its people as well as of the future generations was established. Adam, Prophet Adam, as has already been stated, was appointed as a prophet in the Garden of Eden near um, uh, in present-day Iraq uh, in a place called Babylon at that time. He was allowed to use whatever pleased him but was forbidden to approach a tree, a, particularly, uh, a particular family tree. 
It appears that Adam, who had a great desire for the good of all mankind, approached the Forbidden One also. There was, uh, there were, there were an arrogant people who picked a quarrel with Adam and his followers. It eventually ended in a fight with the people of Adam, who then had to migrate from Iraq to some other neighboring country. This lapse of the, of the prophet had been highly exaggerated by many writers, including Christian writers, and cited as an unpardonable sin, rather a sin which every human being inherits. Bible being an interpolated book contains confused statements about the forbidden tree in Genesis, for example, verses, um, chapter 2, verse 17, we have, and I quote, But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Unquote. Contrary to this, we have in Genesis 3, um, chapter 3, verses 4 to 5, And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. This statement of the serpent, as opposed to God's, uh, to, as opposed to God's statement, appears to be true. We have in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, and I quote again, and, where, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave us and gave also unto her, her husband with her and he did eat. So um, that's a bit uh, from the Bible and uh, the Holy Quran as well. Let me now go um, to um, our guest for this segment to talk about this um, aspect and some of the other things that we've talked about, explain them in further detail. Imam Rabib Mirza, who is um, an imam in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Peace be with you. Peace be with you as well, Imam. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We know you're busy and we really appreciate your your time today. So uh, let's maybe start uh, a discussion with um, what we're talking about, which is the forbidden tree. So what does the forbidden tree really um, represent as mentioned in the holy books? Uh, It's a very uh, interesting uh, question and um, generally sometimes uh, from a theological perspective um, some people consider the tree to be a physical tree um, you know some consider that when uh, Adam ate of that tree um, you know uh, he was he, according to the the Bible as well um, that uh, some sort of nakedness uh, transpired upon him. Hmm. But the fact of the matter is that the Holy Quran has beautifully um, explained uh, this tree as well. And as we know that the Arabic language is such that one word can mean many different things. Um, so as you were just mentioning, that um, this particular uh tree or shajarat, which the word has been used in the Arabic language, um, one interpretation of this out of, uh, you know, several other possible interpretations 
is that this was a tribe or community um, whom were, you know, they had transgressed and they had excelled in their transgression and rebellion. And as we know that in the hearts of uh, the prophets of God, they desire to reform mankind because this is one of the tasks that has been entrusted to them by God Almighty. So Prophet Adam desired to reform this uh, certain tribe. Um, But when their nature, their disposition was such that they could not as such take in any guidance or they could not be guided, uh, it was at that moment that God Almighty told Prophet Adam to refrain from them and stay clear from them. But again, as I mentioned, that it is within a prophet's nature that he desires to uh, reform the world. So Prophet Adam, uh, as, as I mentioned, that th- this is one interpretation out of many different interpretations right. of this, this particular verse, mm-hmm. where Prophet Adam, after having somewhat... Um, not listen to God Almighty, so thereafter his shortcomings um, and we can say, uh, if you were to put it, the religious blemishes, um, they became known to Prophet Adam. So it was at that time then when God Almighty told Prophet Adam to cover himself, uh, cover himself uh, with the fig leaves. Um, And Again, this is open for interpretation as well. It does not necessarily mean physical fig leaves, but rather, uh, as we know that in the interpretation of dreams, um, you know, figs, the, the, the leaves can also denote righteous people. So God Almighty told Prophet Adam that uh, he should gather the righteous people around himself and in this manner, that shortcoming um, that had been manifested from him, uh, you know, it will subside. And then also God Almighty taught uh, Prophet Adam prayer, and, and, and Prophet Adam supplicated this prayer of Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam taqfirlana wa tarhamna lanakunana minal khasirin. That, oh, our Lord, we have wronged ourselves. Um, you know, we have transgressed against ourselves, and God Almighty, if you do not forgive us and show mercy upon us, then surely we will be from amongst the losers. Mm. So this is one possible interpretation, right. as I mentioned, because the Arabic language is so vast, yeah. um, and there can be many different interpretations. So this is one possible interpretation of what is meant by when God Almighty forbade Adam um, from you know, eating off of that particular tree or going near that tree. Right. Excellent. So, so then, what do we make of um, the Christian teaching of the original sin? Uh, again, it's a it's a <laughs> it's a very uh, interesting um, question. You see, as far as uh, the original sin is uh, concerned. Um, this this battle between uh, good and evil, um, we cannot say that it started from that particular time, because as we know that Prophet Adam was uh, n- not the, the first man alive. Um, but 
we can understand that there is a possibility that it began in from that time in the sense that because God Almighty through Prophet Adam uh, established uh, civilization and we know that uh, this was one of the most ancient civilizations established um, by uh, man at that time because in the Holy Quran God Almighty uh, tells Prophet Adam that he needs to ensure that um, the people or the community that he has gathered or with regards to his followers um, they should be given sustenance, they should be given food, they should be given water, shelter, clothing, all of these fundamental and basic things needed to establish a civilization. But in relation to um, original sin, we do not accept it in the Christian manner because if, according to the Christians, <clears throat> they say that Jesus... Um, was the one who came to take upon himself um, the sins of of man, uh, and as we know that uh, in in the in the Bible as well in 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 Genesis in particular, where the whole story of Prophet Adam is being mentioned, you know God Almighty has mentioned that um, man will have to uh, toil for work and also um, during childbirth. Uh, women will feel pain. Hmm. Now, this is, you know, a result of that original sin. If Jesus came to remove that original sin, then why is it that still mankind hmm. is toiling for work and still women feel pain, you know, within labor? Hmm. So we do not understand that concept of original sin that is presented by Christianity. Hmm. But yes, Sin in the sense that where a prophet um, and, you know, lack of a, of a better word, that uh, in one sense disobeyed God Almighty's commandment, um, again, it's a, it's a story, uh, it's a, there's a moral story behind this, mm -hmm. that whatever God Almighty commands, one should always accept it, um, you know, very willingly, because sometimes mankind may not see the results of his certain actions uh, there and then. But, of course, God Almighty, who is the uh, knower of the unseen, he knows that certain things can transpire, and therefore he desires to keep his beloved safe from those, uh, you know, those, those vices or the evil results or evil consequences of certain things. And then, of course, if a person has committed a sin or any shortcoming or, or weakness has been manifested from his part, then the Holy Quran has also taught us this very prayer, as, as I mentioned before. So if a person does commit uh, sin, this prayer is also very useful in that, in that sense. Sure. So what's the Islamic teaching around, um, the, uh, around the original sin? Is a child... In Islam, born innocent or otherwise? This is again, it's a it's a very uh, interesting question because the Holy Prophet, peace uh, and blessings so, of so. Uh, Allah be upon him, has has mentioned that all children are born innocent, hmm. but it's their parents then that either make them Christian or Jew 
or uh, a fire worshipper. Right. So what the Holy Prophet mm-hmm. beautifully expounded upon in this particular narration is that when a child is born, he's innocent. But due to his surroundings, due to his society, they are the things that actually mold his characteristics. So one should always try to keep good company, and uh, whatever the teachings God Almighty has taught, you know, whether a person adheres to the Christian faith, the Judaic faith, or any other faith, they should try to primarily uh, inculcate those teachings within themselves to ensure that they stay clear of, uh, um, you know, uh, going or treading upon the wrong path and ensure that they stay upon the right path. Right. Um, so, Imam Rabib, then, so we've we've established um, uh, before we came uh, on air, we talked about you know Prophet uh, Adam being the first prophet and not the first man. So we've we've established that. Um, we also played um, a, a clip from the fourth head uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community explaining that. We've talked about the original sin. We've talked about the the tree. So maybe let's just spend a few minutes. You, you know this this story, this this narration that uh, the Holy Quran uh, talks about and uh, and Bible also talks about. Um, what's the significance of it? What what is the moral of this story? Whenever God Almighty, um... I think we we've just lost Imam Rabib. Um, Imam Rabib, are you there? No. Let's uh, let's try to reconnect with him. Um, and in the meantime, yes, so let's do a quick recap. So what we've established so far in this um, particular program is that Adam was the first prophet. Uh, he was born around 6,000 years ago. He was certainly not the first man. Uh, the first man, as science tells us, um, uh, evolved in Africa around 200,000 years ago. Um, we've also talked about... Um, uh, the concept of the original sin as to what original sin actually meant, what is the significance of um, original sin, and uh, what uh, that means in Islamic context, where Imam Rabib clearly mentioned that uh, in Islam, every child is actually born innocent. I believe we have Imam Rabib back on the line. Um, Imam Rabib, can you hear me? Yes. Excellent. Uh, Islam. Yes. So, yeah. So going back to the question that I asked you. So we were talking about um, the the significance of mentioning uh, this, uh, this story, this narration in the Quran. What is it? Um, you know, as I was mentioning that whenever God Almighty relays the stories of, of prophets, they are not done in vain. Hmm. Um, there's always a moral um, that is is hidden within there's there's always a moral to these stories um, that are hidden within uh, these narrations and obviously in particular this story of uh, prophet Adam um, you know is is, is no exception uh, to the rule at the end of the day this very story tells us that ultimately <clears throat> and you know it's it's also mentioning how mankind um came uh, from from one source so the first and foremost thing to remember 
is that you know no race uh, no, no creed or color has superiority over over one another when prophet adam was commissioned by god almighty as uh, the first prophet and to establish a, a civilization um this also is uh, uh you know talking about how um mankind should also you know remain together and and remain as one and there should be no discord um as we know that the whole story of, of Cain and Abel hmm. where one brother killed the other um the story has been mentioned so that again mankind refrains from from these very things but uh, this story in particular um about the the tree as as i mentioned that the whole purpose of this was to also teach um prophet adam as well um and also to teach the believers that ultimately when god almighty gives a commandment in in relation to certain things then there should be no uh, ifs and buts mm. but one per one quality that a believer should adopt is that of we hear and and we obey and if uh, at the end of the day mankind is uh, weak and there are weaknesses and shortcomings um that uh, happen from from man as 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 it's mentioned that you know for for man is to err and uh, to forgive is 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 for the divine um if a person does err then he should recite uh, this very prayer as well that uh, oh god um you know i have wronged myself i have uh, excelled in 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 transgression uh but if you have if you do not forgive me and do not have mercy upon me then i will ultimately become misguided so this prayer itself tells us that one should always seek god almighty's uh mercy and forgiveness when any sort of uh, shortcoming um happens from that person and also the story of 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 adam as well hmm. um in 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 particular where also it talks about how the angels um submitted before adam again this also is uh, informing the believers that whenever a prophet uh comes by from god almighty whenever he is commissioned from god almighty then the duty of the believers the duty of mankind is to submit to him to obey him because he is ultimately god almighty's representative here on earth and he is the one that can show mankind the path to guidance and safeguard man um from misguidance um this is another aspect of of the story and uh, you know one other aspect um that i think i want to to touch upon the whole story of adam has been mentioned at different intervals within the holy quran and again it's it's reminding the believers of um their we can say um their roots mm-hmm. if you were to put it um where they have come from there's one you know one prophet that uh, we all come from and and of course uh when we talk about adam as well um the adam that we are referring to is the one of 6000 years before mm-hmm. because we know from a different tradition of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam uh he peace and blessings of allah be upon him that 
he has also mentioned that there were many thousands of Adams as well. Mm. So it shows that there's a possibility that whenever uh, certain prophets came within um, certain communities in certain areas of the world, they were Adams in the sense that they had to establish a civilization because the word Adam, uh, it is derived from two Arabic root words of Adim and Udma. So Adim would uh, Adim and Udma basically together they mean that one person who is living in a cave and then comes out, uh, you know, into open land and because of the hot scorching sun, uh, his skin develops uh, a sort of olive shade. Um, so this also shows that mankind was living in, in caves before. But I, as I mentioned, I just want to just come to one uh, other aspect of, sure. of the narration of, of Adam, and that is in relation to the conversation between uh, God and, and Iblis, or if you were to say Satan, yeah. where Iblis said to God that, look, you have created me of fire and you have created him from dust so I am superior to him now here one thing that a believer is told in this regard it's it's all metaphorical language we do not physically we do not believe that uh, Satan is some sort of a, a physical being um, or you know this with the with the horns or uh, the the whole image of, of of Satan that is sometimes painted or illustrated, it's actually metaphorical language, and it is talking about that those people that oppose prophets of God Almighty and their representatives, their caliphs on this earth, mm-hmm. they are Satan. Mm-hmm. They have a fiery nature, and as we know that when fire spreads, it's very hard to contain it. Mm-hmm. But those who believe in God Almighty, like Prophet Adam, those who submit to the will of God Almighty, their nature is, uh, you know, is is of dust in the sense that, um, or clay in this sense that it can be molded. So one should try to mold themselves in accordance to the will of God Almighty, and that's actually the way and procurement of peace in the world. Because if a person molds, um, his you know his life and his way of life in accordance to the commandments of of God Almighty it's only then that peace can be established otherwise if you oppose the commandments of God Almighty you become that satan with the fiery nature so this story and narration of adam is is beautiful because as i mentioned it's it's there's, there's so many aspects to it but you know the, the three aspects that we just touched upon is that mankind should remember that they all stem from one source. There's no superiority. They there should be no discord. They should all try to live together hmm. in a unified manner. Then we spoke about how if a person accidentally uh, commits sin, um, there is this prayer that uh, he should recite and and seek God Almighty's mercy and forgiveness. And then thirdly, when a prophet of God warns you or commands you to submit before God Almighty's will, you could do that. Otherwise, one can become like Satan, who has a fiery nature. And that's not what we aspire to become. We aspire to become, have that that, that clay-like nature where we can mold ourselves in accordance to the will of God Almighty 
so we can live together in peace and harmony. So these are very beautiful aspects um, that God Almighty has told us uh, through this story. But of course, as I mentioned, these are only three aspects. There's, there's so many different elements and aspects that can be mentioned in this regards. Absolutely, there are. And thank you so very much, uh, Imam Rabib, uh, for explaining these three elements, actually, in, in so much detail and, and clarifying, because this is uh, a topic which is um, which is cluttered with uh, a lot of noise, and uh, there is a huge amount of misunderstanding uh, in the entire religious world, if I uh, might say, not just uh, within Muslims, but uh, also within Christians and with uh, with others as well. So really appreciate your contribution today. Thank you so very much once again for joining. We know you were very busy and we really appreciate you joining us uh, uh, today. Um, may peace be with you. Have a lovely weekend ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Peace be upon you too. Peace Thank be you. upon you. Thank you very much. So that was uh, Imam Rabib uh, talking to us in detail about um, what um, uh, this whole uh, narration in the Quran and in the other holy books actually signifies and why is uh, why has it been uh, been mentioned i want to go back uh, uh, to uh, what was said about um, this error of judgment that adam made um, when he was um, uh, cast away from this metaphorical jannah or metaphorical uh, place of uh, of heaven um, and uh, the Quran actually mentions it in the following words in um, chapter tw- chapter 20, verse 116, and I quote, And verily, we, made, we had made a covenant with Adam beforehand, but he forgot, and we found in him no resolve to disobey us, unquote. And this verse clearly shows that this was a lapse. It was only an error of judgment on the part of Adam. It was inadvertent, it was involuntary, and uh, not at all deliberate. And to err is indeed human, one only becomes sinful if one commits it willfully and knowingly. Um, And that, um, uh, unfortunately, um, has has been taken out of context in many religious teachings as well. He indeed, um, Adam that is repented and turned to God who granted him uh, his grace. God also turned to him with mercy and guided him as he mentions in chapter uh, chapter 20 verse 13 as well. That was our um, show for this afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us ladies and gentlemen. We've talked about two topics today. So the first, uh, in the first hour um, we talked about um, um, the um, uh, hate crimes, the issue of um, you know so much, uh, so much agony, so much, uh, so much trouble all around us, um, uh, so much, so many atrocity, atrocities around us. How do we handle that? How do we handle that, that knowledge, and how do we still make sure that we um, only act with with kindness? And in the second hour, we shifted gears and we talked about. Adam, whether Adam was the first man on earth or the first prophet, and we clearly deduced that it was the latter. If you have not been able to listen to this show, uh, you can always go into SoundCloud and listen to the recording. Thank you very much for joining us. We will now be um, taking um, a break for the six o'clock news. Um, we will be back next Friday. Until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you.